Here we go. It's Monday night. I'm getting excited. Time for Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, back in the studio. Well, we've been in the studio, but live. And there's a good reason that we were pre-taped the last two weeks. Would you like to uh, remind us why? Just tons of sports going everywhere. Monday night football the last two nights. And not going to be at the Arizona tonight for the New England-Arizona <laughs> game. Uh, I don't blame you for not traveling but, for that uh, one. But no, I mean, I'll tell you what. That Monday night game last night... Uh, last week between the Saints and the Bucks, and the Bucks came back at that ending. Just a, again, two weeks in, it was two weeks in a row for the Bucks. And it's weird. We're, we're talking about the Bucks. I wanted to say, well, it was a great comeback last week. And now, after last, yesterday's game, such de, so de, deflated almost. But it was, it was just crazy. And again, I'll tell you what, these two-way Buck fans, do not leave a game early when you're down two <laughs> touchdowns. They continually leave and everything. Now, the Saints did everything wrong to let the Bucks come back and win that game. And then they had the, they had that great win. They go out to San Francisco. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, they're competing against San Francisco. And boy, was that game. I mean, yesterday was a tough game. Because, look, I'm, I'm a Steeler fan. I'm wearing Steeler stuff. Steelers lose a 1 o'clock game. Then I go, well, I'm going to root for the Bucks. They get totally blown out of the 4 o'clock game. Bad. And I'm like, okay, after I have dinner, I'm all ready for the Dolphins. And I'm, you know, I love the Dolphins. And boy, that was a disaster. It was just a tough day to be a rooter, you know, fan. So if people aren't familiar, Ira, we have, uh, you know, we've quadrupled our listening radius here uh, at the True Oldies channel. We've got a ton of new listeners in the Boca, Fort Lauderdale um, areas. If people aren't familiar with you, why don't you give just a little synopsis of, of what you do? I mean, you're a super fan who's been traveling the country for decades, attending pretty much anything you can consume. Well, I'm a huge Penn State fan. I'm a huge Steeler fan, but more than just Penn State, I like sports. So I go, and it's a, for football, look, I mean, I give the example I like to give is the Penn State, you know, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Penn State, Ohio State on Saturday, Eagles, Steelers Sunday, three World Series games, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Have to look at what where I'm going to go next on Saturday. How about, uh, you know, you know, bound to Tennessee at Georgia at Athens, and then that was Saturday, and then on, then on Sunday go and see Tampa Bay uh, against the Rams. So I was just that was a, a great little trip, like there. And, and this is one show, Ira. We can't say that you did anything crazy this week. It's good that you caught your breath though, and you were trying to travel for one of these games. And I told you maybe this is a week to take off. Well, it's been like going to the Steelers for the Ravens game or something like that. So it was hard to think of what to do. But you know, we got some bowl games coming up. I have the Rose Bowl. I have to decide which uh, championship, which semifinal game we're going to go. To and then also of course uh, we'll catch you know this one of one of the games when I'm out in L.A. at SoFi so you can when you go out west you can catch the SoFi games Chargers Rams so there's a lot I'll be able to go see so if you'd like to catch up with Ira's uh, endeavors you can do do so all across social media at Ira on Sports I uh, got great podcasts going back four or five years so it's all uh, online anywhere you go at Ira on Sports get some great guests as well Ira and nothing nothing's changing this week this is massive we don't need any introduction for our guest tonight Tom. Coughlin. Super Bowl two-time Super Bowl champion Tom Coughlin. Uh, Super Bowl 42, one of the biggest wins of all time, stopping Tom Brady uh, becoming and Bill Belichick becoming undefeated in that amazing game that they won 17. The highlight of my sports life as a Giants fan. <laughs> that was just unbelievable. And then come back and do it again. And uh, he wrote a book called The Giant Win, and it really just covers that one game, like an entire book on one game. And uh, But I can't wait to talk to him about, about his book and about his life and those things. And, and 
think and next week we have a good good guest too. Yeah, I was going to say next week is, is no slouch either as you bring in Larry Zonka. Yeah, uh, you know it's certainly you know Hall of Famer, uh, the, one of the greatest uh, Dolphins of all time. Talking about the '72 team, the undefeated team. Uh, he has a book out too, so it's great. But they have books out, you know, this time of year coming. And but oh, I just cannot wait to bring him on next week and and talk about those great times in the '72. You know, I want to share one little story from the book, which I can't wait to ask him. Is that, you know. After the games were over, this is crazy. After the Dolphin games, when they played, when Zonka was on the 72 team, they literally had to park where the fans parked. And then he would go out to the parking lot and sit in the parking lot with, with the fans, not the VIP, not with the ropes. Like, I go to all these games, and the, you know, but just sit out there, have hot dogs, drink a beer, have hamburgers. I mean, they just had played the game and talked to them. <laughs> the craziest thing. And that's, I uh, can't wait to uh, talk to him about that. It, it was truly a different time in sports, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, like you said, Larry Zonka next. Next week here on Iron Sports, Tom Coughlin joins us at about 7.35. So let's talk about the Dolphins. And this was a team that, I think two weeks ago, Ira, a lot of people would have said this team can win the Super Bowl. This offense is unbelievable. Defense needs some work, but they're still good enough to keep it keep them in there. And this offense can score 40 points a day. We've seen two have a, a, a not good week and then just a terrible game yesterday. What's your thoughts now on where you should be if you're a Dolphins fan? I almost ready to jump off the ship. I, I this yesterday was a disaster, and it, the buildup was so great. You know, they flexed it into the night yeah. game, and the battle was between two. Remember, the tagging for Tua. They drafted. Now remember, in the, in the 2020 draft, Joe Burrow went one. Everybody thought that. And before we criticize the Dolphins for drafting Tua, I mean Washington put Chase Young, who's great, but thinking what's coming up next. The Lions to Jeff Akuda and Giants been had largely a boss. And Giants Andrew Thomas, and then uh, Miami drafted Tua. The Chargers drafted Justin Herbert. And there was, a, there was a question, as you know, Herbert should have been easily, that was a big mistake, but Miami's getting a lot criticized. What about the other teams that get criticized? And then how about in the 20s, how about Miami though, in the 18th pick had Austin Jackson, but Justin Jefferson, this star wide receiver for the Vikings who just had 12 catches for 230 yards, he drafted, was drafted 22nd. Would mm -hmm. you like to have Jefferson, Justin Jefferson on a rookie deal? And then the Miami drafted uh, Inga Lobby at 30. Yeah, Igben Agony, who's not, been pretty much largely a bust as well. But of course, you know, you're looking for running backs and the Colts with Jonathan Taylor with the 41st pick. And then look who might be. Everyone's talking about the MVP this year with being Mahomes, Jalen Hurts at 52. So, I mean, when we're talking Tua, Herbert, whatever, there's a point where maybe Jalen Hurts should be ahead of Justin Herbert. So, I mean, I know that sounded crazy last year or whatever, but the way if Jalen Hurts is going to win the MVP, the MVP goes 52nd. But that that's what the, the bleed up of this. And the Chargers had their, no Derwin James, no Bryce Callen. They had nobody. I mean, their defense was missing another two or, two or three players. Six total starters. Six total starters. They went through on NBC. They had how many? You know, they had like 20,000 people on the stage. I think it was like 13 people picked the game. Everyone picked the Dolphins. Everyone's picking the Dolphins. And then what happened? There was some throws yesterday where there was nobody around Tua. No pressure. And he missed by 15 feet. I mean, there was just some throws that looked like high school kids throwing the ball. It, it was the worst I've seen him play since he got healthy, you know, what, a year and a half ago. I mean, it was the craziest game. Miami's three and out. Then Chargers had that long drive. It seemed like forever. They went on four. Of course, you know, Staley goes on fourth down no matter what. It'd be fourth and 100. It'll still go for it. <laughs> they get stopped on fourth down. Miami goes three and out again. The Chargers had a field goal. The first three possessions Miami had, five net yards. And this is a team that we've seen score touchdowns like four or five straight times. They, they get five net yards. Chargers had a touchdown. And then Miami scores on a rugby play where Tyreek Hill picks up the ball because it gets kicked around yeah. and scores there. You know, 
on fantasy purposes, he didn't get credit in like most fantasy scoring. So it's seven, you know, and the charge, you know, it's seventeen seven. And at halftime, Herbert. Let me give you these numbers. Herbert at the half was twenty four for twenty nine for two hundred twenty two yards. Tua was three for seventeen for twenty five yards. That sounds like a high school play. Three for seventeen for twenty five for someone who saying should have been MVP. And they had sixteen first downs versus five first downs. Two hundred fifty yards to fifty. You would think the score was a hundred to nothing at halftime, and still they're only down you know seventeen seven. They're still in the game, and that's what's so crazy. As much as I want to kill the Dolphins, the Chargers could not put them away you've mm-hmm. got to be able to put a team away like that no and, and that was the Chargers defense even healthy is not great so without all those guys you're thinking that yeah they'd be able to get they'd be able to stop down a terrible Tua and they were able to score granted you know the only score of the first half was kind of a, a broken play that didn't you know <laughs> wasn't the effect of the offense it was it was kind of just lucky but yeah the, the Chargers offense could never get it going to get that score when they needed to kind of put this one away right and then in the second half Miami had the hill the, the big pass that cut it could you believe they cut the lead to 17-14 and the Chargers then go down and get it's 2014 at 2014 the Dolphins and this is another frustrating thing for the Dolphins everyone's like calling me up I'm going home, going to bed, can't take this anymore. Wait, you're only down six points. All they have to do is score a touchdown. This is a team that was scoring, I think, with 80% of the time, was scoring something, maybe touchdowns at 60% of the time, and they have two possessions they can't score, so it's 20-14, to 14, and then the Chargers finally get their act together with that 17-play, 79-yard drive. It took nine minutes, and they got a field goal to make it 23-14. Part of that was at Jalen Phillips, where he sacked Herbert. It was one of the worst calls you could ever imagine. But still, Tua for the day, 10 for 28, 145 yards, uh, Waddle, Jalen Waddle, just nothing. I mean, I'm on my fantasy team. Trust me, I'm watching him every 17, yeah. every single play. Nothing going on. Herbert was the most completions he's ever had. 39 for 51, 367 yards, one touchdown. Uh, it's just, it just Mike Williams had 116 yards. Uh, Keenan Allen, 12 catches, 92 yards. Eckler, 8 for 59. You know, 11 drives for Miami, three total scores. Uh, just absolutely. How about the? How about this? These things. The plays. The Chargers ran seventy-eight plays. Miami fifty. Uh, the Chargers gained four hundred thirty-two yards. Miami two hundred nineteen. And time possession, of course, was forty to twenty. I just don't know. I don't know what to say about this game. And the thing is, it comes on the heels of the 49ers game last week. And then they have to play Buffalo yeah. next week on Saturday night. So they have a short week because they everything's been flexed and moved around. And this game was supposed to be during the day, so it was moved at night. And the other game was on Sunday, but moved to Saturday. And suddenly they have, this is one of the weirdest schedules. They're in San Francisco. have to fly back to Miami, then fly back to Buffalo, play it like it'll be zero degrees, crazy weather, nuts. It, largely, you know, 99% of fantasy leagues playoffs start next week. Tua could have been the person that got you there. It might be time to jump ship for fantasy purposes. That's my guy. Yeah. That's who I'm going to have to jump. I'm ready. I, I picked up Aaron Rodgers, which is just craziness. But I mean, and yeah, Geno Smith is my other quarterback, and he's playing San Francisco. So it was. It is really one of those things where you look at it and it's like, wow. I mean, it just. It just. It's just. Again, the Dolphins are going to still make the playoffs, but I think if they can go, this would be a miracle if they go to Buffalo and win this game because to think what they're going to go in Buffalo with all the problems they've had, is we knew this was a killer part of the schedule, but uh, and then they come back to Green Bay, but you wonder if they lose against the Buffalo, is it just going to, is it the year going to snowball? Like, is it going to just go? I was mad. They, they tried to establish the run. They couldn't run the ball, which they couldn't run against San Francisco. Then they couldn't run against the Chargers. It's a, you're concerned about everything. You're, you're concerned about their passing, the running, just craziness. It's 717. This is Ira on Sports. You're listening to the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Tampa Bay and San Francisco. Ira, I don't know if I've seen Tom Brady look that bad over the course of, of, of an entire game, maybe in his career. That was just some 
pretty pretty ugly display of football, especially considering you're facing a backup quarterback who's drafted the last pick in the draft last year. Well, I'm going to say this about Purdy. I watched him play at Iowa State a lot. He was I I think that if he he had a bad senior year, if he would have went out the year before, he'd probably been a third or fourth round pick. He's someone who probably should have left early rather than leave mm-hmm. late. He's going for the Heisman, the team, everything fell apart for him. He's a good quarterback. But when you look at San Francisco, I kept saying, boy, you know what? They can't get their offense going. And they, but they now, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, is he the most perfect person for this offense? I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like every time he touches the ball, he has like, he's, you know, there's no one in front of him. They have a great offensive line. Their defense fits it well. The injury of Debo Samuel is terrible. But, uh, but the fact is they have the strong offensive line. Their defense is just, uh, um, just, you know, is amazing. And, uh, you know, they were upset they gave him a touchdown. The Bucks had one touchdown on 11 possessions. And I, the game was over. It was 28 nothing at halftime. Yeah. And the game was over. I mean, there's no way. I mean, my everyone knows I'm a true Brady believer. It was over. Like, I, there was a point. If it wasn't his home game, I think he would have left the game. I don't think he would have stayed in there. I was shocked San Francisco's studs were still in the game towards the end of the third quarter. I mean, this was just time to bench everybody and, you know, let, let the backups do mop-up work. Really just a disgusting game. And, and this is a team that could be hosting a playoff game. It just, in Tampa Bay. It, right, because it looks like Tampa Bay will play. I mean, I could almost guarantee this the way that, that it looks in the NFC. Tampa Bay will be the four seed hosting Dallas to the five seed. Because it looks like Dallas is going to be, unless Dallas can it could catch, be a 12-point favorite. Yeah, it's in a like Dallas game. will be, it'll be four or five. In January, I'll give you the date, like January 16th or whatever, is going to be Dallas, Tampa Bay, first round yes, of the playoffs. It'll be playoffs. 16th or 15th, yeah. Right, so that'll be it. I mean, it, it was, it's crazy, but San Francisco. I think the, the answer for them is maybe without Jimmy G, without Trey Lance, this Brock Purdy, they're good enough to still go to play, at least play San Francisco in the championship game, play the Philadelphia in the NFC championship game, and, and, and maybe beat them because their defense is so good. And, and I think this writes, this is the end of the line for Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco now, right? I mean, because Trey Lance has to start once healthy. They have a backup. I know it's only been two games, but he's fits. He fits the system of Shanahan. I mean, I think that Garoppolo's done after this. You know what? And the more you hear about Brady, the more like he wants to play there. He's like, I grew up here. I won. My family's here. It's There's almost, no reason for him. It's all but it's all but, it, but it, from a, for a Brady fan, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, like you know, if if, if they, they lose, they lose. If they say they win, Purdy doesn't play well. Then they say the only thing we're missing is Brady. Let's bring Brady in for one year. We have the team ready to go. Well, if they go and they end up making the Super Bowl, they're not going to bring Brady in. So yeah. this is a this was a really big game. Um, <laughs> Rams and Raiders. And just when I was ready to say the Raiders are turning the corner, they're getting their act together, maybe um, Josh McDaniels is the right coach for this team, they go out there and look pretty bad against the Rams at a loss. Well, they were up 16-3. to three. First of all, this is the crazy. This is the, this is, remember, Baker Mayfield had two days of practice. He was on the plane coming over, uh, the, learning the plays. The, the Rams have no Aaron Donald. That you, John Wolfer was going to start the game. And Baker was going to play. And it was the first time in 45 years that a team started a game-winning drive in under two minutes from the two-yard line or under and won the game. I mean, it's, it, like, it's crazy. And it, again, 16-3, 12-20 left. And as much as the Saints blew their game on Monday night, what, what the Raiders did on Thursday, I mean, this is textbook. I mean, if you're coaching football, it's like what? So it's fourth on three. The Rams 32, 11.06 left. They, the, the, Raider, the Rams punted the ball. Baker you know, still struggling, just getting his feet wet in the game. He looked okay, but they're still down 16-3. But the Raiders were offsides on a punt. Now you're up 16-3. Yeah. to three. You just have to get the ball back. Why are you trying to even do – why don't you just drop back? How are you ever offsides on that punt? And then third and four in the Raiders 42 – 
the Raiders are offsides again. Like, what are the Raiders doing jumping offsides? You're up 16 to 3. There's no need. And then fourth and one on the Vegas, two with 355 left. It's a one yard pass to Akers. First down, they score 16 10. And then the Raiders get the ball back. And you think, okay, just one first down. The Rams are totally out of time. I have one first down. Jacobs goes nine yards. It's third and one. And then they can't get that first down again. They punt the ball to, you know, under the two minute warning. And then Baker has this amazing drive down to win the game. And he was 22 for 35, 230 yards, a touchdown. If you're Derek Carr, I didn't see the interview after the game. He was crying like two weeks ago when they lost. How do you feel as a Raiders fan now? This is they have blown leads. This is this is unbelievable to have this lead like that and blow it. Another guy, if you happen to be starting the fantasy playoffs next week and you have Derek Carr, a lot of worry there. Get heading into your fantasy playoffs. But it was just it was truly a crazy game for the Raiders and, and something they've been blowing leads all year. And just it was again, and, and I, you gotta give nobody wants to give Baker Mayfield credit. I mean, that was amazing what he did. I thought that comeback was great, but the Raiders are just, they've been doing this. If you look, remember the Raiders, they've been, and these offsides were crazy on a punt. Like, and I said, I'm someone from a fantasy perspective that's saying, okay, I want the Raiders have the ball because I want, I want to get them back because I want Jacobs to get for fantasy purposes. So I was all rooting. I'm like, watch this. I'm like, I cannot believe you're committing these offsides, these penalties, but this is what they've done. This is what the Raiders, I mean, Josh McDaniels. Undisciplined. There, there is, look, Josh McDaniels has one more year. I think he has, but I'm telling you, if they get off to a bad start next year, he might be gone. Ravens and Steelers, you being a Steelers fan, this is a game where if Kenny Pickett doesn't get hurt, you probably could have won this game. Mitchell Trubisky looked every bit of the bad Mitch Trubisky that we've seen over the years. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Huntley goes out, Kenny Pickett goes out. The, I mean, we were at the one point in the day, I think, of the of the uh, 12 quarterbacks that started, four were out. I mean, between uh, Mike White for the Jets, mm-hmm. and Russell Wilson for Denver, and then Pickett and the Tyler Huntry. But, but I'll tell you what, Pickett, he was weird. He got hurt. And then I thought he was hit real hard, like the Tua-type throwdown, came back and then went out. And mm-hmm. the Steelers don't get any of the, you know, the criticism. I was like, why'd you bring him back in the game? Um, Baltimore was up 10-7. Trubisky got down to the Baltimore 17, throws an interception to Raquin Smith. And you got to see, you know, the, the Ravens were tricking him. They were like, throw it here, throw it here, like almost like baiting him to do that. Throws an interception, 13-7 Baltimore, Steelers driving again, down to the 23. Mitch Trubisky, another interception to Patrick Queen at halftime. Tyler Huntry gets hurt. They bring in their third string quarterback, a little Lamar Jackson was out. Anthony Brown's in the game. And they're, you know, Steelers driving again, still with a chance to take the lead. Mitch throws another interception. Three interceptions. And these were bad interceptions. These are with the Steelers with the ball, with the chance to win. And that's why Mitch Trublitsky, who was, what was the second pick in the draft, is not a starting quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> so we had, um, let's talk about the Jets in Buffalo here. And we had on uh, Jeff Perlman, I think it was last week, talking about the last folk hero and Bo Jackson and me following the New York media intently. There's a new folk hero, and it's Mike White. <laughs> and I, I know that they didn't win this game, but the hits that he took and got back and came in the game and continued to make throws, even though they lost, Mike White is a hero in New York today. He might be the answer for the Jets. He might not be. Regardless, Buffalo got the win, and that's all that really matters. Here. Yeah, and they were showing Zach Wilson the sidelines. He looked like <laughs> that. Rumors, the pictures of Zach Wilson look like how I go to games. You ever see my pictures? You know, I'm, I'm, I have the thing around my mouth and the hat and the heavy, you know. He looked like he was ready just like to stay warm. Yeah. yeah, just stay warm. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, every time they showed him, it was like, you know, it wasn't like he was, he was paying attention, but he looked like he was stressed. And, and Mike White's out there getting destroyed out there and, and had it in there and trying. Um, this was a point. One of the point about this game, everyone's criticizing. You know, they asked Josh Allen. They said, you know, does your offense look like it's a Super Bowl offense? And he goes, does it? You know, like again, I, I think Buffalo is a no. The Jets D is good. 
the Bet Jet is good. Buffalo is going to get their act together. They're going to be the number one seed potentially. And like, I, like everyone's criticizing Buffalo, and they're still they have Josh Allen. Like that's all I have to say. They have he's tremendous. And uh, but it was just I think this is why we made a comment. They're they're going to build a new stadium in Buffalo. It's not going to be a dome. This offense needs to play in a dome with Josh Allen. I I don't know why they're building without this. If they have a dome, why bribe bring the elements in because it makes a team that's that's probably less than you or a lesser team be able to play with you. Otherwise, you'll just blow everyone out. Look how well they played when they went to Detroit and played all those games in the domes in the, with a game mm-hmm. that they had to move from Cleveland and everything. I think that's why I just cannot believe Buffalo is not building a dome. Kansas City and Denver, and you kind of have to feel bad for Russell Wilson. He finally looked decent for a little bit of that game. Obviously, they needed to come back from a ton of points. Kansas City went up big early, but then you know suffers a concussion once he finally seems to get something rolling. Story about that game is, yeah, they finally scored some points. It was shocking that Denver scored points. I mean, Kansas City was up 27 nothing, and you're like, on this Denver defense, Mahomes is so great. And the passes, the no-look passes, I mean, everything that he does, Mahomes mm-hmm. is just, it's like he just does whatever he wants to do, and then the defense, it's just a game. I mean, they're crazy how they do that. Um, you know, does, people ask, is that Patrick Mahomes, like, worthy for the MVP? Uh, I think he, that helps him. I mean, the, the, he had high, two highlights that were the highlight of the season. The one throw at the end of the game where he's ran around Patrick Mahomes style mm-hmm. and throws it, and the other, which was he was running out of bounds, and just flips it underhand down to Jim McKinnon for a touchdown. Just amazing. But um, I just like Kansas City's a 10-3. and three. Are they going to get – if they're waiting for Buffalo to mess up? Because remember, the Bills beat them, so they have the tiebreaker advantage over Kansas City. So it's hard to believe that Joe Burrow had never won a game versus the Cleveland amazing. Browns. Amazing. I career. saw that. I can't believe it. Strange. Uh, he got that – you know, he, he shrugged that off his back yesterday. Well, Taj Boyd, his wide receiver, got hurt. TJ Higgins got hurt. Oh, Jamar Chase is back. 10 catches, 119 yards, one touchdown. targets, yeah. I mean, is this the LSU day? Because Chase had 119 yards, one touchdown with 10 catches, and Justin Jefferson Jefferson, his teammate at LSU, had 12 catches for 210 yards. I mean, could you imagine this lineup? But um, the Browns just got 71 yards of rushing. And the question you have to ask is, the Cleveland is 5-8. and eight. They have Deshaun Watson back for two, two games. He's 1-1. One one. He didn't look good against Houston. And he's the highest-paid quarterback in football in the game. And you're waiting to see, like— I know he had rust, but you know, as someone made a good point, Brock Purdy was looked better than Deshaun Watson did. You have other quarterbacks that have rust that come back. You're supposed to be the best quarterback in the game. You're, I think if you're Browns fans, you're starting to get a little nervous. You want to see more. And considering Jacoby Brissett, they look better under Brissett than they do under Deshaun Watson. So hadn't played in 700 games. I'll give him a little all bit right, of a break. All right, all right, all right. You know, what I'm not giving a break to is the Tennessee Titans, Ira. I know that Jacksonville's been playing better of late. Trevor Lawrence seems to be coming into himself. Trevor Lawrence looked like uh, John Elway yesterday. I mean, the Titans are supposed to be founded on defense and running the ball, and they got ran all over by Philadelphia. That game was embarrassing, and now they lose a game that wasn't even as close as the score, 36-22 to versus Jacksonville. Right. Well, that's what we talked about. You know, Buffalo won their top team. Kansas City won their top team. Cincinnati won their top team. One of those three teams is going to go to the Super Bowl. Tennessee was going to be that 4 seed because they're going to win their division. They got blown out by Jacksonville. Trevor, uh, Trevor Lawrence finally is starting to play really well. And at 5-8, and eight, if you're a Jacksonville fan, you know, that's a good five and eight. Cleveland's at five and eight, they're depressed. Steelers are five and eight, we're depressed. Jacksonville's five and eight, they're jumping up and down. It's all about expectations. Absolutely. 728 Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. Just about seven or eight minutes till we get to legendary NFL coach Tom Coughlin. Um, as a Giants fan, I wasn't expecting 
the Giants to win. I wasn't really even expecting them to cover the seven-point spread. I didn't think that the spread was going to get beat by 30, and this game was just ugly from the Giants. Philadelphia seems to, it's rolling. Now, like someone asked, I think, Sean Payton today, uh, uh, Colin Coward asked him, they go, do you think Philadelphia should be concerned because they're not getting any close games? I'm like, no, I don't this think. Is, it, that's ridiculous. Right, that's, it's like, they would rather just, they're blowing teams out, they're staying healthy, Jalen Hurts looks like he's getting better every week, their defense looks like, I mean, I was there for that Steeler game, I saw how good they are. I mean, they, when you have that advantage, you can just blow teams out so so what so they go and when they have two playoff games in the Super Bowl if they blow everybody out then yeah. what is it, if does you it score really... every time you touch the ball you don't have to worry that right. much right I mean I, I just I think and, and, and the Giants were just to be a competition and they didn't even compete a lot of people thought this was kind of a sneaky play Detroit was favored over Minnesota, and Minnesota's 10-2 and two going into this game, and what do you know? Detroit looked like the better team the entire time. Well, the Lions have now won five out of six games. They've scored 25 points in five straight games. Well, that sounds nice. How about the first time since 1954? <laughs> 1954, which is like 70 years ago, I think. Jared Goff, everybody was waiting for him. I mean, he's looking like better than everybody. 330 yards, three touchdowns. They have their wide receiver crew, Amon St. Brown, DJ Chark, and they bring Jamison Williams. Well, who's Jamison Williams? Remember him from, from last year? Was the best wide receiver in college football. Tour is ACL in the championship game. He's coming back. He looked great. Caught a 41-yard touchdown pass. Mm -hmm. This team looks like they're rolling, and I feel bad. You know, Minnesota again. It's just that you know they only have three losses, but all three losses have been bad losses. And, and yeah, nobody has any confidence in them no, winning, winning any playoff games. A lot of people have a lot of confidence in Dallas, and Ira, for three quarters of that game, Houston was beating them pretty well. Well, I mean, it was crazy, and Texans were first in goal in the Dallas four when Dak threw an interception, and they don't score. They score anything on that first and goal. If they score the touchdown, the game is over, mm. but you know, counting Houston at a 1-11 and team. But look, I give Dallas credit. They're 10-3. They probably weren't up for this game. They ended up winning the game. Whatever. It is what it is. We've seen a lot of Thursday night games that don't have much hype around them. This Monday night game has no hype for me, Ira. <laughs> New England versus Arizona. I really don't know what to expect from either team in this game, although I'd take Arizona if I had to bet on it. I would take New England, because I, I, but I, they both have lost two games each going into this game. They're both struggling. I, I, you just don't know what's going to happen. I, I mean, Arizona's season is over, so I think they're done. Patriots are still playing their 6-6, six and six and it's Belichick, and there's still hope, and there's still this. There's something major. you know. My, so I, that's why I think New England take New England minus 2.5 in the game tonight. But uh, it's going to be – I think the fact is is that I look for Mac Jones to finally have like this. It seems like they've been playing a lot of bad weather games. Now, this is in a dome. It's going to be nice. Let's see what happens. I don't have Jacoby Myers, but I think Mac Jones is going to have a big game tonight. Where do we stand here with the playoff scenario? Well, I really think, just as we talked about, Buffalo, Bengals, and Chiefs. Buffalo is the number one seed. And it, it, it's like Miami's 8-5. and five. They lose again. Jets 7-6, Pats 6-6. Six six. Ravens are 9-4. and four. And Chargers 7-6. Of the five teams for three spots. I mean, it's really that. And with the NFC, same teams. Around five teams for three spots. And your Giants, you know... The Lions could pass the Giants. The Giants keep they losing. The Giants could pass there. And then Seattle's at 7-6. There's been struggling. They have a tough game against San Francisco. But it looks like, you know, Philadelphia, I'd be shocked if they're not the number one seed and cruising along there. It looks like Philadelphia won. And then uh, then Minnesota or San Francisco, two or three. And Tampa would be four. What are we watching next week? San Francisco at Seattle Thursday night. That should be a good game. And Saturday, Saturday night, 8-15, Miami at Buffalo. And it, that's going to be just monstrous. And then Sunday, Dallas at Jacksonville. Boy, Dallas better not take Jacksonville lightly like they did Houston. So they better be ready for that game. And then Cincinnati is going to be at Tampa. I'll be at that game. That's going to be it. I mean, I can't. That's going to be a showdown. A, that is going to be. This is going to be like that. Tampa is going to put their foot down in that game. They I better, don't know about that one. Oh I, got, it's going to. But Cincinnati is playing so well, and that's why this is going to be exciting to see this game. Burrow versus Brady. I just. I can't wait for that game. And Giants at Washington on Sunday night. So Ira, let's move to baseball and. 
baseball might be going in a direction the NBA is, where middling players are getting $20 million a year. Everyone's getting paid. And you, you, know, you brought up a point off air talking about people were hesitant to sign guys like um, – Manny Machado and Bryce Harper to ten-year deals. Now they're going ten-year deals is the standard. I mean, I just keep writing these these statistics down for the deals. Let's talk about the Phillies. They signed Trey Turner for eleven years, three hundred million dollars. They're already paying Harper three hundred million in two thousand sixteen. The Phillies payroll was eighty-eight. Now it's two hundred and twenty-three million. They it, it, it just it goes on. I mean, the the uh, Padres. They signed Xander Bodarks, 11 years, $280 million. In 2017, their payroll is 67. They're 229. They have Manny Machado at 10 years, 300. Tatis is 14 years, 340. Soto, they're going to have to give money. money. Musgrove, their pitcher, five-year, 100 million. This is the team that is the 27th biggest TV market. It is unbelievable. And then we got to get to the Mets, who really, it just their payroll is at 330 million with taxes over 400 million. This is a team that was like, a few years ago at a hundred some million and, and now they're spending 300 uh their owner cone stephen cone is just spending whatever it needs to be done which is like it's his own, his own fantasy team it's like he's in a league with a fantasy minimum and he's like i'm gonna change the rules of the yeah, league I'm gonna, spend, game, yeah. I'm gonna spend what i want and the new collective bargaining agreement uh helped because now teams sort of know what they're supposed to have disney gave them a billion dollars when they bought them out on this their analytics division but i just think these teams are spending and i gotta give scott burroughs the agent of credit because they have fought tooth and nail on this floor because there's there's no salary cap because they're and they're and now we're seeing like the pirates have a 50 more four million dollar payroll the a's 41 the orioles 54 tampa 69 if you add those six plus the reds and miami together that's still not the mets payroll because now boris said guess what there's gonna be a ton of owners that are gonna spend money i don't care about the a's pirates orioles tampa reds or miami or whatever we don't care because we're gonna have the, someone at city who's gonna spend money phil's are gonna spend money these are teams that weren't spending money before and then if you're right now if you're at the, the dodgers at 157 million you're like i gotta spend 100 million dollars boston's gotta spend another 100 million dollars boston's trying to <laughs> san francisco is spending 120 like like these players like you have correa and Dan, dansby swanson and these players i mean we talked carlos to Jordan, yeah. before the covid when harper and machado they waited it was spring trading they signed because no one wanted to give them 300 mm -hmm. million oh my gosh that then they it's it's crazy what's happening and again the, the 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 length of the years you saw the judge nine years 360 but it's really not when you're seeing trey turner 11 years whatever I mean, that's what's happening. People are shocked about these contracts. The Mets have a higher payroll than six countries' GDP. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous, but good for the players. They can't be mad at them. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I don't think Caleb Williams is really on that many people's radar, especially when it came to Heisman Trophy votes. Has a phenomenal end of the season, and we have our new Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, he won. He had. He, it was a runaway win. 544 votes. Max Dugan for TCU at a 188, and CJ Stroud, who was the front runner most of the year, had 37. So how does 544? It's like you just have to do well the last two weeks of the year, and that's. And Bryce Young finished all the way down with 17 first place votes. But uh, it was like Cal Williams. I mean, he was impressive. I think what happened is in the Utah game, even though they lost, he was hurt. They saw he play. They saw he played in the Notre Dame game. Um, getting those games on primetime helped and this is gonna this is you know this is where i think this is the most to me it's the most prestigious award individual award in sports i may be mvp of the nfl mvp of the nba at that level but really this is because the, just the heisman trophy you get to live in the heisman house do all yeah. the commercials i mean that's so cool and uh, give reggie bush's heisman back um we only have a minute or two here for the world cup but we're down to the final four 
Well, Brazil, Croatia. Croatia won 4-2 in penalty kicks. I'm watching all these games. I mean, it, the fact that in the extra time, Neymar scores the goal. They're celebrating. They think it's all over. Then Bruno Petrovic comes and they score, forcing the penalty kicks, which Neymar doesn't even get. The star, the, the most you know popular soccer player, doesn't even kick in penalty kicks. Croatia upsets Brazil. And then Argentina. Everyone thought it was Argentina-Brazil, then Argentina and Netherlands. Argentina is up uh, 2-1 and uh, and leading. And then finally in the, 80, in the 83rd minutes, Netherlands goal had a header. Then they had a free kick and they tied it up. But a penalty kicks. Messi, unlike Brazil, Messi went first. He got the goal in, and they won five four penalty kicks. Four, you know, now you're going to have Argentina versus Croatia. Got to think Argentina is a. You know, the, the odds aren't that great. They are a favorite, but not a heavy favorite. And then Morocco, Portugal. And this is like, remember when, when uh, A-Rod was batted seventh by Joe Torre? Well, uh, Ronaldo is the most popular <laughs> soccer player with a zillion followers. We had uh, people on our show talk about him. They was benched for almost the first halves of both games. Mm -hmm. They end up losing to Morocco in a huge upset uh, in terms of, of the game. And, and they lose one nothing to Portugal. When Morocco beats Portugal, one nothing. Uh, Morocco's only given up one goal in five games. And then the big game yesterday, a couple days ago, was France versus England. France was up one nothing on a super long kick. Then uh, uh, Harry Kane had a pe had a penalty kick tied at one one. France scored two one, and then Kane had another penalty kick, his chance to tie it up against the goaltender who's on his team. They've been teammates for a decade, yeah. and I think that messed him up. The goal fact that the goaltender knew him, he kicks the ball over the net, loses. France beats English, England setting up France Morocco. So you got to think that on next Sunday. This could be France versus Argentina, France defending champion versus Argentina, Messi, chance to win his first uh, his first uh, uh, championship. So it's pretty exciting for soccer. Very exciting stuff. Let's go to Tom Coughlin here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. We're so honored to have two-time Super Bowl winning coach Tom Coughlin, who just came out with a book called A Giant Win about Super Bowl 42, the amazing victory over the New England Patriots. Thanks a lot, Tom, Coach Coughlin, for coming on. Well, my pleasure. So, Coach, you described in the book Super Bowl 42 as the greatest Super Bowl victory of all time. Uh, give me the reasons why you believe it is that I, I agree with you on that anyway. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, there's two things. One, uh, I, I think it was a great football game. I mean, if you look at the New England Patriots were the number one scoring machine and offensive football team in the history of the National Football League coming into their, to that game. They were undefeated. Tom Brady had thrown 50 touchdown passes. Uh, Moss had caught 23 of those. I mean, it was an incredibly well-balanced uh, offensive machine. But not to forget, their defense was ranked fourth as well. I mean, that's a that's a really, really good football team coached by arguably the greatest defensive coach in the history of the game, Bill Belichick. So, uh, you know, they were cruising, if you remember, they beat us 38 to 35, Ira, in uh, week 17, as they were going for a 16 and 0 season. We played them right to the hilt. We led the game in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Super Bowl would obviously be a very, very different kind of game, a tremendous defensive uh, struggle, uh, in which our football team played extremely well uh, defensively. Sacked Brady five times, knocked him down at least 16, maybe 18 times in that game. So. Uh, it was just a uh, – no one gave us a chance. You know that. Nobody from, from day one gave us a chance to win that game. But they didn't, they didn't give us a chance to win any games as we went through the entire process of the playoffs. We were known as the Road Warriors. We won 11 games that year on the road. Uh, for example, Fox's experts 
None of them picked us to beat Tampa. None of them picked us to, to go to Dallas and win. Dallas had beaten us twice during the regular season. No one picked us to win in Green Bay. And, of course, no one picked us to win uh, in the Super Bowl. So all of these things to overcome all this was a great thing for the National Football League, a great thing for the legacy of the New York Giants, a tremendous football game, uh, a game in which bound all of us who participated uh, as New York Giants at the hip for the rest of our lives. And I'm very proud of that football team and that effort because you remember, first of all, they were uh, they were trying to fire me after the 06 season. <laughs> no, no, and, no. And we started the 07 season 0-2, so they were ready to fire me again uh, when we went to Washington and won. And, of course, the rest is history. I, I, a lot of people, when I was talking about this book, said, Super Bowl 40, are they, is, he gonna, is Coach Coughlin going to talk about Super Bowl 42 in the book? And I go, the book is about the Super Bowl. And I loved how you did the book because you wrote, you just described the whole Super Bowl. And then in between, you then talked about the different players and the history of your life and those things. I just weaved it into it. So I, I go, trust me, you're going to hear everything about Super Bowl 42 in this book. And I do want to give my condolences to you about the passing of your wife, Judy. After 55 years of marriage, you uh, talked about how she was your rock throughout your entire life. She certainly was. She was someone who Judy literally gave me the opportunity to focus on my profession, and she did everything else. She raised four children. She, we have 12 grandchildren. She built houses. She moved every time. You know, I got into where I had a little technique where she got rid of me when we moved. <laughs> so it worked, you know, so she did all of that too. But she was a remarkable lady. She had a radiant smile. She loved and she cared. And as I said, uh, we were married for 55 years. For the last five of those years, I was Judy's caretaker. For the first 50 years, she was my caretaker. So you're born in Waterloo, New York. And when you grew up, you said there was a sign. It's the home of the Memorial Day. Memorial Day was started in Waterloo. Oh, yeah. But now you have the sign. It has the home of Memorial Day and home of Coach Tom Coughlin. Yeah, it drops down below. It says uh, Waterloo, New York, the home of Memorial Day. And then down below, it mentions... Uh, that that's also my hometown. So I was very proud. You know, as a young kid, you can't get, can't wait to get away. And then as you get a little bit older, you start understanding it, and you start having great appreciation for the way you were raised. You know, I'm the oldest of seven. Uh, it was a very small town, but athletics was extremely important, and our whole lives was built around football, basketball, baseball. So I was really proud of the work ethic that my parents installed uh, instilled in me. And the way that I was raised, you know, I was an older boy. I went to a Catholic parochial school, St. Mary's, and uh, and the Sisters of St. Joseph certainly had a, a big hand in uh, making sure that uh, that we towed the line. So our show is aired in South Florida from all the way from Miami to Port St. Lucie. Um, next week, we're going to have Larry Zonka, your old college teammate at Syracuse, on the show. And, of course, everybody down here in South Florida was rooting for you <laughs> to not let Brady go undefeated and keep that undefeated string alive. So I know when you went to Syracuse and you and Larry, there was a lot. of Floyd Little was on that team, a pretty exciting team there at Syracuse. Oh, that was a great football team. You know, when you stop and think about the two running backs, we're – are both gold jackets. They're both Hall of Famers. And it was Larry. Larry was in my class. Floyd was a year ahead of us. But, uh, you know, it was something. Because, you know, we our style of football was just physical by nature. Ben Schwartzwalder was our coach. And we were going to run it. We were going to play great defense. We were going to be penetrating 5-3 on the defensive side of the ball. But in those days, Larry ran the ball from tackle to tackle. And then when uh, he got into the pro game, 
with Coach Shula, they showed that Larry could take the ball outside as well. So, you know, he is, in my opinion, the greatest fullback of all time. And uh, it was just a just an outstanding, outstanding football player. Ga- uh, the Gator Bowl record in rushing was set by Larry Zonka and Floyd Little. So they were great football players. And uh, and I, I uh, they needed 11 guys to play, so I got a chance to play as well. <laughs> well, you know, we're not going to talk about the whole your entire coaching career, but I love the line in your book that when you coached at the Rochester Institute of Technology, in order to be the coach of the team, you had to walk around campus and try to convince big kids that playing football is fun. I love that line. <laughs> well, that was basically what it was. We were going from uh, – a Division three program that had been club converting it to a varsity program in a very, very difficult league. It was called the Independent Athletic Conference, and it had Ithaca and Hobart and St. Lawrence and Alfred. I mean, you had some great Division three teams uh, that were superbly coached. So uh, making that jump, I used to stand out. There was a big walkway where the dormitories from the dormitories over to the to the main campus and I'd stand out there looking for guys going across that I could <laughs> snag and try to interest in playing uh, Division three football. But the experience that I had in starting a program there actually really benefited me later as I took over the, the, uh, the development of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I was the first coach hired there, and I had personnel and coaching. And, uh, and so that experience of starting something from a new was very helpful to me even then. And your victory in the Super Bowl wasn't your first big, big upset. So when you were at Boston College, you beat no, number one Notre Dame team. I remember watching that on TV. It was an amazing upset when you upset uh, Notre Dame. And then also that was that's, that you, when you were coaching at Boston College, it was the source of the J Foundation, which is your foundation uh, that you run right now. Right. The J Fund Foundation was named after Jay McGillis, who was a strong safety that played for me at Boston College, who had uh, contracted uh, leukemia. And what he and his, and his family went through throughout the course of his Ill, illness, it was a ravaging illness, and Jay was gone with, within a, a matter of months. He died July 3rd, 1992. But what we experienced and what we went through, one of my linebackers, Mike Panos, had come to me and said, Coach, we've got to help the McGillis family. So we got together and we developed a program. It was called a max, we used to max lift at the end of the spring. So the players went out in the community and got pledges for the amount of weight that they would lift whether it was power clean squat or bench and we raised fifty thousand dollars and we gave the mcgillis family a check for fifty thousand dollars at halftime of the spring game so that's where the idea came from and the j fund foundation uh our mission is to be there for families who have a child with cancer so we support families in all the practical ways the number one way is we want to keep families in their home we want to pay their mortgage pay their rent pay for their gasoline pay for their car experiences you know, do all the things, electricity, funeral expenses, whatever it takes to help the family stay together while they're going through the, uh, hopefully, the recovery of the child from any form of cancer. And how can people contribute to the J Foundation? The J Fund Foundation. Look it up. You'll find it anywhere. And uh, we're, we're located there. Uh, uh, we, we have an email. 
we have all kinds of information out there about the J-Fund Foundation. So we're talking to Tom Coughlin, Coach Tom Coughlin, his book, A Giant Win, uh, Inside the New York Giants' Historic Upset Over the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 42. The foreword of your book was was uh, written by Eli Manning, and of course you have this relationship. And I guess my comment to you is that in a couple years when Eli Manning is going to be discussed whether he should be in the Hall of Fame or not, you, I guess your opinion is it's not even a discussion at this point, that it would be ridiculous even to ask that question whether he should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I think he's the greatest big-game quarterback certainly that I've ever been around, and I think ranks right up there with the best of all time because the way he's played and performed, you look at the two Super Bowl wins where he was named the MVP there head-to-head with you know Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and the passes that he made, the pass to David Tyree, the pass to Mario Manningham in Super Bowl Forty Six, have to rank. We know that the greatest catch of all time is the David Tyree catch, but one of the great passes of all time was the Mario Manningham catch in Super Bowl Forty Six, right in front of the Patriot bench. That propelled us into uh, into the end zone and, and another Super Bowl win. Yeah, and then your other the another player on your team that we if you just turned the TV on the star defensive player was Michael Strahan. And you talk about Michael in terms of when he first took the job on the team. He was been there for a while, and uh, you didn't realize you didn't know if he was going to buy into the system and what you were going to do. Well, the first, if you listen to what Michael said, uh, when he, he paid attention to all the, you know, flack about Coughlin coming in and he's this, that, and the other thing, uh, the other thing, and, and Michael would say to you that I didn't just dislike him, I hated him. <laughs> so, so he did. But uh, Michael's a, obviously a great football player, but to his credit, Michael listed all the things. You know, he, he had the, the sack record. Uh, he played, he was recognized as an all-pro many, many times over. He played in the league for a very long time, but what was missing in his gut was he's never been a champion. And what happened in Super Bowl 42 uh, allowed Michael, as he describes it, one of the happiest times of his life, was to win Super Bowl 42 and and be known as the capping off of his career was a Super Bowl win. You know, you mentioned in your book that not only was the defense on that team so athletic and made great plays, but in order to beat Brady, they had to be highly intelligent. And you bring up like Justin Tuck, who works at Goldman Sachs right now. Of course, we see Michael on TV and other players. And it was the intelligence of that defense that was able to propel you to victory. Well, O.C. O.C., Strahan, Tuck were part of what we call the NASCAR package. We had three (laughs) superior pass rushers. And when you took Justin Tuck and lined him up inside, you know, guards hadn't seen that kind of quickness before. So in that particular game, we sacked Brady five times, knocked him down, as I said, 18 times. And that's it. You have to move Tom Brady off his spot. You give him his spot, you're in big trouble. And even today at 45 years old, he's, you saw him do it last weekend. Right, right. Uh, but our defense played superbly. Uh, Antonio Pierce stopped a, uh, a screen early in the game that would have gone to the house. Uh, we just had uh, phenomenal plays. If you remember when the penalty was called on us for 12 men on the field when the Patriots pulled one of their – and we had practiced that. We had tried to prepare ourselves for that where, where they keep the offense out there, then they run their, their punt team out, and then your your punt return team is trying to get on the field and then get off the field. They caught one of our guys about a yard from the sideline, and there was a penalty. They had the ball already in our territory. It gave them a first down. And on third down, Michael Strahan made a huge sack. And on fourth down, Brady ended up, because of the pressure, O.C. and Tuck put great pressure on him. He ended up throwing it out of the back of the end zone. So we, uh, we in a situation that could have been a most difficult one for our team, 
uh, we were able to come up with a defensive stop there and, uh, and prevent them from scoring. Um, one of the big things we just talked about, we're near the end of the football season, is like, should teams play all their players and if they've already clinched a position? And you made a big decision there. When you already had your playoff position at the end, of, you just mentioned earlier in the interview, that you decided we're going to go all out. We're going to play that game. And if we get injuries, we get injuries. And, and that was a big decision. You mentioned that uh, you know, that was, I think, a major you know, impetus, I guess, for the team to win the Super Bowl. Well, it was. But the, the key there was that I'm a historian also the head coach of the New York Giants, the proud New York Giants, the flagship team of the National Football League, the red, white, and blue, never was it going to be said that we didn't put our best foot forward in an attempt to compete against a team that was trying to go 16-0. and And we did that. We played as hard as we could play. As I said, it was 38-35, but we led it in the fourth quarter. They went Brady to Moss deep in the, uh, late in the game with a deep throw. We end up losing 38-35. But when we came off the field, uh, we knew we could play with them, even though, as it turned out, the game was much, much different in the Super Bowl. And you beat Tampa Bay, Dallas, and Green Bay to get to that Super Bowl. And I liked in the book how you said, look, the Super Bowl is not like it. I mean, I go to tons of sporting, tons of football games every weekend I'm somewhere. And I agree with you. The Super Bowl is completely different. And you said, you, you know, you, folk, you, took, you know, work with your team and saying, this is different. This is how we're going to do, you know, approach this game, even though because of the timing and everything. Well, it's much different. There's much more time involved at halftime, much more time when you're on the field before the game starts. And you have to. You have to prepare your team for that. You know, you, you have only so much energy, and even though you're, you're, you're excited and you're right there, you, you try to get your people off their feet because it's a long time until kickoff when you, when you take that field because of all of the pageantry that goes on with the Super Bowl. And you mentioned in your book about that Super Bowl, and you said one of the key things was that first drive. And I remember, you know, it's like you six. It seemed like it was the entire quarter that you go down there, you get three points, but still, it, it took almost the entire quarter of the first quarter. Well, that was the whole point was trying to keep Tom Brady on the sideline. Uh, if we had the ball, they didn't have it. And uh, if you remember back to Super Bowl twenty-five, um, when the Giants beat the, the high-flying Buffalo Bills. We had the ball for 41 minutes in that game, and Bill Belichick designed a great, great defensive game plan, and we were able to win that game. But, you you know, when you have a Jim Kelly or when you have a Tom Brady, you don't want them on the field. You want the ball, and you want to hold the ball, and we were able to accomplish that at least early on in the game. And you mentioned, I know that you say that you hate when people say, oh, you were lucky to win the Super Bowl. You're like, we dominated that Super Bowl. I mean, the first half, you know, you, it was, uh, you only, the score was like 7-3. But the point is that, that, you know, you had the ball, three of the four drives were inside the, the Pats 30. And really with yardage wise, you guys had way more yards than, than the Pats did. Well, we did in that particular game. We didn't come away with a lot of points. That was probably, we hadn't turned the ball over really in the whole playoffs. We got one turnover which prevented us from being in position to score. And then late in the game, as you know, the Patriots did take the lead prior to the drive at the end of the game, which was the drive. <laughs> and then you, the Patriots, you, you know, you talk about that drive when the Patriots went and scored and made it 14-10. And then you said, and Strahan goes and says, we are going to win this game 17-14. And it was running around saying that with 2.40 left. And you mentioned, you, know, you think about the David Tyree catch. It is the most iconic catch in the Super Bowl. But you mentioned about the Armani Toomer catch uh, that made it fourth and in inches with a minute and 34 to go. Oh, no question about that. I mean, everybody contributed in a great way. And Amani had a big year for us coming back from an injury. 
and had made, you know, the big play against Dallas that started the game off was Amani down the sideline. You know, he's the greatest player I've ever been around in terms of working his feet on the sideline. This was an inside breaking route. But, you know, he made a great adjustment to catch that ball, and it brought up the, the very short yardage fourth and one when we went power for power. You know, we ran Brandon Jacobs up behind Chris Snee, uh and uh, Kareem McKenzie, and, and we were fortunate there. He didn't get great takeoff, but he wiggled and did what he had to do to get us that first down. And then it's third, third and five in your own 44 with a minute 15 left. And you spend in the book, that's where you stop the book, it's about the NBC specials where they go back and they say, look, I, David Tyree was my office before the year started and I almost threw him off the team. And the practice before, he was dropping every pass. And a little bit about David Tyree and that whole thing about how that worked out. Well, that was a few years prior to that when David Tyree came in my office. Ernie, of course, he brought him in. It's, it's well uh, documented that... Uh, David had had some trouble with the law, and uh, Ernie said, "Do it. Do with him what you what you want." And I listened to what he said, and I thought he was sincere in his in his uh, plan to go forward. And and he uh, he certainly uh, made me feel like he uh, was sorry for what he had done, and I was willing to give him another chance. And he was a Pro Bowl special teams player before he was our short yardage blocker as a wide receiver, and that uh, idea set up the score that he had in the game because when he came on the field, we knew Bill Belichick would having done all the the tendency work would think that it was run. And that's how we came up with that score with, uh, from the goal line with, uh, with David Tyree and Eli, what an amazing, it looked like you watched the play. I mean, I've seen the play a thousand times. I just can't believe that he got a pass off, let alone that you completed the pass. Yeah, I sat, I was on the sideline right across from that saying to Mike Carey was the official that day. Mike, don't blow the play dead. Don't blow it. <laughs> Eli wiggled, and he broke away from three Patriot you know, defenders and then threw the ball down the middle of the field, and you're, you're saying to yourself, please don't overthrow that. Overthrowing ball in the middle of the field is an interception. And, uh, but David Tyree went up to the high point. He caught the ball with both hands. Rodney Harrison stripped one arm away. He had the wherewithal to pin the ball to his helmet as he went down. Harrison went across the back of his legs. Normally that indicates, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. My legs are going to be hurt, and you don't hang on to the ball. He hung on to the ball and rode it right to the very end, and he definitely had control of that football. So it was a huge play, obviously, for us in the game and a great credit to the toughness of David Tyree. And then even after that play, some people think that was the play that ended the game. It really wasn't. You had to complete to Steve Smith. Then you had the touchdown to Plaxico and uh, two more great passes from Eli to win the game. Yeah, we're, we're on the 35-yard line with a long way to go to get to a touchdown. And uh, you mentioned the play to Steve, and the plays that Steve made throughout the game were just amazing for a young kid to know down in distance of where the ball had to be placed at. But uh, the play against with Pat, uh, Plaxico was the all-out blitz and uh, Plax was left one-on-one on the backside, and Eli had mentioned if, if, you, if, you're, if we go out there and you're one-on-one, if they do blitz, the ball's coming to you, and that's exactly what happened. And then with the, and I think a lot of teams have said, okay, we felt like we won the game, we have Tom Brady, but there's only 29 oh, seconds and three timeouts to go, and you had the, fin- the finishing the job was the hardest part of it all. Oh, my God. Brady rocketed three balls, or excuse me, two balls down the, right down the seam, and uh, and it was the first one was very close, very close. We had two guys, uh, Corey Webster, Jabril Wilson, were back there, and they defended very well. They were in very good position on both balls, but 
that, that first one was a scary one because it was almost off the fingertips of, of, of Moss. And then you mentioned in the book about how motivational this victory was, the, the upset, the, the beating the invincible team, just in terms of how many people come up to you since then and say, you know, you've inspired me. This, this team inspired me to, you know, with my illness or, or to overcome something. And I think that gives you a lot of joy to, to have people come up to you and tell you that. Well, it does. And also the reason that we wrote this book was because we were enduring COVID, we're in recession, you know, many, many people out there are in difficult straits. And when you look at this book, you see that we were down. We were down. We were 0-2. They were getting ready to fire us again, and we came back. And we kept battling back because we believed in ourselves. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot. We really appreciate it, Coach Coughlin, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Ira. The man, the myth, the legend, Tom Coughlin here on Ira on Sports. And uh, such an awesome uh memory in my life so happy to have him you were on. smiling what are you the week? entire time during that interview i mean i've never seen you smile so long in my life highlight of my any life. giants fan that was that was like memory lane to go back yeah and do absolutely that. where are you heading this week well it looks like i'm going to go to friday to see tiger woods he's going to be at the pnc championship with his son so maybe get some good pictures at the pro-am on friday and then sunday tampa cincinnati in tampa don't forget to follow ira all across social media at ira on sports we're out of time on behalf of ira i'm mike let's talk next monday night it's ira on sports.